listening to The Cooler Ring, a podcast made for manufacturing marketers. Here are Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Welcome to The Cooler Ring, a podcast for manufacturing marketers brought to you by Cooler Partners. My name is Jeff White. Joining me today is Carmen Perry. Carmen, how are you doing, sir? I am happy to be here. And you? I'm doing great. Good to chat with you. Yeah, likewise, likewise. I think, look, I, I, uh, in today's uh, show, I think we're going to, uh, look, I guess this is the the sentence that came to mind as we were thinking about uh, today's episode, is when you're, uh, I, I don't know where I heard this, and it makes absolutely no sense, really, <laughs> but it kind of does. It's like, when you're a worm and horseradish, your world is horseradish. And I was like, I remember. I just remember hearing that because it's so weird. Like, why am I talking about a worm and horseradish? Um, but like, um, but I kind of feel like that's kind of uh, what. Like, it was an area. I was recently kind of surprised um, when um, a pretty niche B two B company, very successful. Uh, was talking to me about a, you know challenges that they were having in generating a target account mm-hmm. list, and and like I felt in that moment like wow like that's just I guess it's just a world that we've lived in for so long like we've been the worm and horse worm and horseradish for so long that our world is horseradish. It didn't really occur to me much that that would be something that. Um, you know, people may kind of struggle to wrap their heads around or kind of understand exactly maybe how to how to go about it. So I guess that's what spawned today's show is like, well, why not kind of hit that head on and say, like, kind of step outside of our horseradish. And the way you're really saying to bring another food reference and analogy into it is that ICPs for us or target account lists for us are like the Tootsie Roll, you know, like. Everything we see is an ICP for me. <laughs> exactly. I don't, man. Nobody gets that reference increasingly anymore, right? Like, yeah, like, like nobody remembers the Tootsie Roll ads from the '80s anymore. But never. no, but we have an opportunity here with our transcription and YouTube to potentially link it up. So, if you are so <laughs> interested, go to coolerpartners.com/slash/thecoolerring. And you know that that is going to just unhook a torrent of highly relevant organic search traffic. <laughs> Always does. Always does. <laughs> okay. So, folks, what we're, what we're looking to talk about today is what does it take to generate a target account list when thinking about um, uh, ideal customer profiles? Um, you know, what does that really mean? How does that drive a target account list creation activity? Um and just generally speaking, I think we're just going to talk through yeah. it in a fairly uh, methodical, step-by-step approach, really. Absolutely. And I think one thing to get out of the way, and we have another episode we'll link up, is that an ICP is not a persona. They're not the same thing. It ain't even the same sport. Right. I guess, I mean, it has been said, uh, and I say that because I think I've said it before, that there, it's kind of like a... There's a rumor going around that. <laughs> exactly. That, that that kind of like a persona for a company or for an organization, which I think there's kind of I, I think that helps some people understand them. I mean, basically what we're talking because then you say, okay, well, firmographics are to a company as demographics are to um, a consumer or a persona. I'd say that's accurate. I, I do think though that when people are thinking about specific personas, they often 
narrow that in so far as to be useless, you know, whereas I think ICPs generally try to be a bit more broad in nature in order to capture the extent of the total market that you can serve. Yeah, if I wanted to be a little harsher, I might say, you know, personas often editorialize and talk about what trucks people drive and things of that nature, which uh, thinks makes marketers think that they're doing something clever and useful that will help drive content creation at a later date. But in reality, it doesn't do any of that. Um, whereas I think uh, ideal customer profiles do tend to be harder working. So what do we mean by that? Well, we mean an ideal customer profile is a profile of the type of company that would be your ideal client or customer as a B2B manufacturer. So for very often for uh, B2B manufacturers, that means uh, other uh, uh, organizations that fit within very specific NAICS codes uh, or standard industry codes, as is sometimes used in the U.S. as well. Um, so SIX or SIC uh, codes. SIC codes is redundant, but that's still what people say because mm -hmm. the C in SIC is codes, but nevertheless. Um, uh, so SIC codes or NAICS codes. Um, you know, different uh, types of industry classification depending on, on, on where you're based. Um, and, you know, layered on top of that would be, I would say, uh, you know, from a firmographic perspective, like a raw data perspective, would be revenue uh, and uh, employee count. Those would be, like, from a just bare bones perspective, the firm... From a bare bones perspective, you might also have geography in there. True. Um, true. You know, we only serve North America, or we only serve the U.S., or or something like that. Is certainly a common, um, common refrain with some manufacturers. So, I mean, that's that's the bare bones. But I mean, obviously, there is. It's not editorializing like you might with a persona, but there certainly is, um, you know, the ability to shape that um, in order to achieve the kind of target account list that you really you really want to serve because you know your ideal customer profile may not be your current customer profile um uh, true uh, hopefully there's not that big of a delta between those two things but i understand what you're saying uh, and there's and you also beyond i guess looking beyond some of the standard uh numbers that we just mentioned you know, you may have situations where you say, yes, uh, people within this industry code, with this in this employee count and this geography and this revenue, they are, would be an ideal fit. But only if they have an engineering team of this size or greater, or maybe only if they release an average of X number of new products every cycle or greater. Or, you know, there, there may be different things that you know because of your experience of working within the category, that there are kind of other elements yeah. that that may not be as easily found within a database. Yeah, I mean, you're not going to be able to know, even if someone is is of the appropriate revenue scale, whether or not they would be purchasing your sort of minimum quantity of a particular product. Right. You know, we need to do $100,000 in this or 100,000 units a year in order for this to be a prospect for us. So there's that deeper level as well. And, and, and it may even be capabilities. You may say like, okay, well, if, they, uh, if they're a metal fabricator, then they're an ideal fit for us. But if they also do 
uh, CNC machining, well then no. Um, like uh, you know, that's a that's a type of a uh, uh, thing that you, you could experience as a marketer in this space. So then the question becomes, I guess, um, uh, how do we make use of like what do we first of all how do we kind of get that information? And I think it's important, I think, to uh, to 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 work with sales in, in in this regard, and 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 I should note that you know for for organizations that are very prospect heavy, like they they often um, are cold calling or, or other ways reaching out to people who don't know of them, and trying to introduce themselves and get sales calls. Those companies probably don't need as much help in understanding what an ICP is because in some ways they may not call it that, but they're already, you know, uh, defining this stuff on a regular basis as a way of generating net new target account lists for them to work. At least, at least on the sales side though, I think there, there is still some newness to this concept on the marketing side. You know, a lot of marketing and sales departments that aren't necessarily well connected, you know, the marketers may not know that the salespeople are going after the target accounts in this way or, you know, being this specific about it or rather intentional about it. Yeah, that's a, that's a very valid point. Yeah, no, that, that's true. I guess I, all I was trying to say is, is that the marketer could probably um, uh, shortcut a lot of things by talking to the sales organization there, right, um, in, in, a, in a more literal way. Whereas I think in some ways, a target for this episode of the Cooler Ring is more of the other folks, which I think are the majority of B2B manufacturers who are um, more farmers than hunters uh, in the sales organization, um, an awful lot of relationship-based selling and things of that sort. Um, and, and sometimes when you're talking to those sales organizations, you have to be a little bit more nuanced in trying to tease out what is an ideal fit customer because it you know uh, i don't want to be too negative against sales uh, ever but i guess one of the things I, I would say is sometimes you might get an articulation of who are the easy accounts versus who are the most profitable for example right like uh, you know sometimes they may be taking the easy ones not necessarily the best ones um uh, so i guess as a bit of advice then i get i would tell people to you know, work with sales, understand what they see to be ideal fit customers, but also work with your, understand with your customer service and operations team, you know, not who's not everybody that's an ideal fit at the sales stage is an ideal fit at the uh, fulfillment stage. Mm -hmm. You know, that's important to understand. And also work with your finance team um, uh, and, and try to understand uh, individual client profitability. Because the best ones to work with aren't always the most profitable, and and there's some you know you, you may be surprised at how that tends to push or, or nudge your definition of your ideal customer. Yeah, and you might actually find patterns there, you know, in that the reason we're profitable with these types of manufacturers that we work with is because they don't need this particular add-on or something that really throws our our production into a tailspin and causes delays, you know, like who knows. Um, but you might actually be able to then find those little nuggets that uh, help you to identify which ones are truly best fit target accounts. 
and this is even more essential if um if your production is is at or near capacity um and 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 reasonably booked out i mean that, that that's that that's i think an important part because uh, it, then it's even more incumbent upon the marketing and sales organization to have that profitability lens because as you go to try to create demand in some way that outstrips supply that allows you to make the overall operation more profitable provided you know who you're trying to fill into those slots that you're vacating by for instance firing on profitable accounts yeah no it's it it's amazing i think how rarely this kind of thing is discussed in marketing departments you know often unless it kind of goes you know unless we're talking about a, a cmo or a vp of marketing oftentimes this information hasn't been readily shared you mean the profitability of customers or yeah yeah like that that kind of financial data isn't necessarily the domain of a lot of marketers in the space yeah that, that that's probably fair to say and you know it's it's uh, interesting too i just think you know in the world of marketing we've talked we kind of punch punched at the kicked at the punching bag or whatever you might want to say uh a punch at the punching bag or whatever that is SaaS marketing. But, you know, um, one thing SaaS marketers don't have to really concern themselves with is production capacity. Absolutely. Um, We're selling subscriptions, uh, uh, you know, software as a service, you know, and so much of that SaaS conversation dominates marketing talk these days. And therefore, conversations even of ICPs or, or what have you or target accounts those conversations are, are, are often absent these types of production considerations that a manufacturer needs to be mindful of. 100%. So n knowing that, that you need to put that layer of reality and financial understanding against it in order to fully understand who is a good target account, how do you get them? Because, I mean, it's not like it, you know, you can't just Google this. Yeah, so we've got uh, we've got a couple of uh, uh, I, I guess a, a couple of uh, buckets of, of things here, right? Um, so we have the 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 firmographic information, the more data driven stuff: employee counts, revenue counts, and AICS codes. And then you have a collection of the really soft or harder to find stuff, i.e. they're fabricators, but they don't do CNC machining. Uh, and then you have the profitability patterns that you may be uh, discovering within an analysis of your existing customer base. And I, one, one other thing, I, I think too, um, the, another layer that can be added to this is your marketing calendar. If you've got a trade show coming up in a particular venue, that may determine how you, like you could have a target account list for a specific trade show, you know, or an event. Yeah, of course. So, yeah. You know, there, there are other things um, that could be coming into play here that aren't. Right. And I, and I think that that financial information even, and the trade show or geography information, that will tend to impact, um, the data collection side like you can actually like it, it, it for, for to, to simplify it will change which toggles you toggle in collecting that data so you may say well i know the trade show is in 
Ohio, so I'm only going to look for people in the Midwest, um, and it was as, as an example. Um, uh, so th those are those are filters that you can apply at the data collection stage, I guess. And and that 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 also that those profitability patterns will also often surface themselves in something that can be actioned there. I.e., there, you may find that you're really profitable in one vertical, but not uh, not so much in another. Or um, the real profitability comes within a sweet spot of of, of revenue. Um, uh, so, so there are a couple of different things that you, you may find there that can impact the filters that you apply in collecting that that data, and you know you can collect that data, um, you know, by a collection of tools. So, you know, there's Zoom Info, as a lot of people will know of. Uh, you know, more sophisticated tools out there, like say maybe Dun and Bradstreet or something like that. There's some of those other kind of database sources that people may be familiar with. Um, demand base, yeah, demand base acquired Inside View last year and, and renamed it. Uh, yeah, it, it's quite a yeah. quite a good tool. So, so there are a, a number of those out there, um, and. And then the next layer to that is, is that there are a number of directory tools that are available only in certain jurisdictions or only in certain categories or industries or what have you. Um, one that comes immediately to mind here in Canada is the Scots directory, um, which uh, lists basically every manufacturer in Canada. Um, it, it, it any search, if you're looking for Canadian-based manufacturers, any search in Scots will be more thorough than Zoom Info or or basically any other tool. And I think that geography question comes into play with some of these tools as well, because there's some of them are certainly stronger in the U.S. than they are anywhere. In fact, most of them are stronger in the U.S. than they are anywhere else. But some of them don't even collect data in Europe, for example, because of GDPR considerations. Right, exactly right. So important to take that into consideration, and um, and as you're doing this work, understand that there needs to be a level of connection between <laughs> the data sources that you're using and the dynamics of that they're best at, and and, and what you're looking to target. Um, uh, yeah, and and the notion that you maybe need to be eyes wide open to other more uh, niche directories that you may discover that are either category or geographic specific often. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, you owe it to yourself to, to search for those and not just rely on the, uh, on the tools and see if there is one in your area. You're not necessarily going to know. And there may be, um, you know, could be manufacturing organizations in a specific area or vertical that might maintain those lists as well. So in fact, I think that's where a lot of them have come from. Absolutely. And and folks, be prepared for this data to argue with itself. I mean, um, you know, you'll see companies that fall into a 10 million plus or 100 million plus or whatever it is revenue band, and then they'll show up as having $2 in revenue in another tool. I mean, it's insanity. Um, the, the data is far from clean, and it is a big part of the work to sift through what works best in your space. I will say that the... Um... The inside view tool set that Demandbase bought last year does a fairly good job of showing where they got a specific piece of data. So if there's a revenue number, there'll often be a link to the article that 
mentions it and then you can look into it and see if that thing is actually trustworthy or not right which is which is fantastic but i mean i just want people to be mindful of what we just said because we're talking about a level of clicking into and researching of a single account that is uh, laborious if your target account universe is say six thousand big or Sure. Yeah. And I think that's where we, you know, that level of investigation and detail is probably going to be limited to the top accounts that you're most interested in, which you need to be able to get to a slightly smaller version of that 6,000 in order to distill that down to the ones you really want to know. But that tiering of a target account list is probably one of the most important things you're going to do in terms of making sure that you've got a, a good quality list of accounts yeah and um and so there's two things here uh, that i, I want to make sure that people understand they could kind of go both ways um you you could um i guess the 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 input into your data sourcing tool uh, could be um we want to have the tool that's best um uh, you know, we want, it's, it's like identifying tier one accounts is our biggest priority or mm -hmm. what have you, right? Another way to do that is to say, if we have a target account universe in total of 6,000, we're actually, or we think, you know, we, we take a sample size in some way uh, of it, and we, we dive into that sample size in the various tools and say, you know, how how correct is the information that we're getting with this smaller sample size that that you know hopefully is has been randomized enough that you can it, it can uh, represent the whole um so so i i think just something to be in mind as we as we kind of pivot the conversation a little bit the discussion of tiering but as we look at at tiering i mean mo i guess most organizations probably look at this as a a lifetime value of customer question and the higher the lifetime value of customer um uh the 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 better it is if you want you know your tier one or your highest lifetime value and so forth so on and so forth which you know it's you, you could argue some other ways to do it but um if there's a default that would make sense um and of course the reason it makes sense is is your tier one customers with the highest lifetime value um, also represent the people that you may be um, uh, obviously more likely to invest in acquiring. Mm, yeah, most well suited to be a good customer for you. Yeah, yeah. Or, or you're at least willing to invest more in recruiting a tier one than you are a tier three. Um, I guess a couple of things to be mindful of outside of that, though, is there may be customers that or prospects that make it under your tier one list because of the visibility they have in the industry, not necessarily the revenue that they drive to. Mm -hmm. um, so there's some other things that can push people to that tier one. That so so as you're thinking through that lens, um, the most important one is: Am I willing to spend more to acquire them? And if I am, then they should be in a higher tier. Um, and in some way, if if I if I'm not really interested in spending a whole lot to acquire them one to one, but I'm okay with spending money to talk to them 
and a group of others more broadly, well, you'll find that that's probably sounds like more like a tier three process. Right. Um, and that tier three, uh, tier two, tier three target accounts would often be delineated by vertical and things of that sort. Whereas not that the verticals aren't important in tier one, but in tier one, you're often looking to at, at account to account communication. You're looking to speak to that account one-to-one. And those are the ones that you are probably going to invest that extra time to dive into their website, to dive into their LinkedIn, to get an understanding of who they are. You know, I mean, the other thing too is your your tier one may all be existing accounts, right? You know, and you're simply looking to grow them. You could be in that position where mm. you know your biggest opportunity is to grow your tier one accounts, right? So you already know who they are, and you already know where they work well with you, and then you know where you want to take them next. And that's why you're creating the list. Yeah, you probably have a you have a sense of what your share of all of this currently with that uh, large account and what it could be. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. I guess we, we talked about these ICPs and we then, then taking the ICP, the identification of those ideal customers that we that, that, that we would ideally want to be working with. Um, and then translating that into a list of target accounts. And I guess if I wasn't really clear, I mean, we talked about the different tools that you would use and whatnot, but when we say that we're talking about, okay, we're going to tier the target accounts. We're going to make decisions on how we're going to categorize them from industry on and so forth. But these are hardworking spreadsheets of uh, company name, company address, and URLs, right? Like, yeah. Um, so, so now that we've arrived at that, then what do we? How do we put it to work? What are we going to do with it now? Well, you know. So, I guess the the the, the one one couple of things I, I would mention is, is uh, you know, from from there, doing some select um, contact level research. Uh, as well as working with your sales team can really help you understand the buying committee uh, that's in play uh, in that those target accounts and um, understand the similarities. And that may well inform some persona work that can drive content creation. Now, you'll want to be... I mean, I'm always kind of shake my head sometimes and you look at a 12 person buying committee and they're all very different personas. <laughs> you know, sometimes I, I, I wonder how much that can really drive nuanced content creation, but I, I, you know, there's no question that it can, um, the extent to which I guess it does, uh, would, uh, is a question I would hold, but so beyond doing it to understand that buying environment, maybe a little bit better. Um, you can also obviously put this uh, to work in terms of fueling ABM programs. Um, so that, that's where you're going to want to use, um, I guess, uh, at least excerpts of this target account list to help you validate uh, ABM programs, to help you understand what technology can help you reach your target accounts most effectively. Um, and, and, and that's not an insignificant uh, thing and of course this is all uh, 
one, step one is getting the account based marketing program. Step two is having a, tar a target account list to feed into mm -hmm. it. In some way, you ought to reverse those. Have the target account list first so you make sure you select the right program. And then when, that way, when you actually buy it, you can pretty much get, put it to work right away. Yeah, you know that the, the accounts are actually reachable with that platform. <laughs> exactly right. Um, my one thing that's important, not everybody is looking to invest in an account-based marketing program to spray display ads uh, tomorrow. So what is that? I guess a lot of people, the next step they would have from that target account list would be just to go to a, a level of contact level research, right? And and I think that there are areas where I guess where that's a good idea, like where it it, it makes sense to do that extra level of work get to those um, buying contacts so you know exactly who they are and use that information to, to fuel your marketing and sales programs. The only thing I guess I want to mention to our listeners is that it's an iceberg. And identifying the target account list is the part of the iceberg that you see. <laughs> and the much larger part of that is finding the people that, the individual people that you need. Now, combine that with the fact that increasingly today's privacy regulations and whatnot restrict what you can do with those target accounts or with those target contacts anyway. And, and there's different people that are, have different levels of comfort playing outside the rules. I get it. Um, but I, I think if directionally, the one thing we know to be true is your ability to act against a set of target contacts is it's getting tougher and tougher um what the, the, you have fewer tools in your in your bag and the effectiveness of those tools are, go, are going down well, how many memes out there are there about what happens immediately after you accept a connection request on linkedin <laughs> you know like it's just it's become a joke so it's harder and harder to hit that. Yeah, exactly. And, and I mean, you know, now people are using text messages for cold outreach. It's, uh, you know, all of us, you don't know somebody and all of a sudden they're in your pocket. Um, <laughs> literally your phone's in your pocket or your purse and like, there they are. Um, so, uh, all that to say, um, be mindful that doing the contact level research and getting to a level of accuracy with it um, is the part of the iceberg that is impossible to estimate in advance. It, all you know is it's much larger than what you see. Far murkier. And it could sink the boat. <laughs> um, uh, but it, it, it is achievable. Uh, at the same time, once you get it, I would just you know push you to consider what can you do with it anyway uh how is it going to truly impact like you know i guess because uh, to action it uh, extensively often means playing further outside the rules than people probably ought to be I, I think that's true um the other side of it though is that there may be ways that you can begin to get on the radar of those individuals but boy it's going to take a long time like and a, and a fair amount of effort and it's going to be very difficult to measure. Like you can 
follow someone on LinkedIn and then find out what groups they're participating in and then answer some questions. You know, like there's different ways that you can do that digitally or find out what trade shows they might be going to and try and, and meet up with them. But these are all one-to-one, very deep kind of, you're trying to build a relationship here. And do you really want that to be based on, you know, spam and uh, subterfuge? I don't even know what I was, I had somebody to add to that. And then uh, I kept listening to what you were saying and agreeing and just nodding my head. <laughs> Uh, I like it when that happens. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so I won't try to add since I can't remember. I think that's all right. But I do think, um, I, I do think we've done a, a, a pretty good job of covering, you know, what an ICP is, you know, where it's useful, how do you do it, what do you do with it. Yeah. Well, I guess the contrast that we might want to drive to that con, as we're telling people, well, contact level stuff is really hard to action. Um, I guess the one piece that I was going to mention is um, having some of that contact information uh, level research done so that you can find out where those people are getting their information. Is there commonality in social following or what have you that you can leverage? I mean, these things do exist in the B2B context. It's not just a B2C phenomenon. So you can uh, use that information to understand the communities that you maybe need to participate in in order to get visibility with your buyers. But it's um, it, it's a, a little less direct. Um, the, the other way to think about it uh, is to say, if we stop at the account stage, how do we get ourselves in front of those target accounts and then allow the conversion points and other things that happen once we're in front of those accounts to reveal the contacts and you know the simple the polarity of that's a lot better true and, and the 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 simple way to think about that is what well, we advertise into a target account they come to our site they convert and that person tells us who they are and if they're not the right person they probably know the person that's the right person, and it's the start of getting us down that path. Um, the other thing is to be mindful of the fact that you know some ABM programs, for example, have an ability to uh, retarget people at the contact level, even though they came into your environment via the um, account-based level, if you will. So um, there are some technology answers for that as well as we... Uh, raise the cautionary flag around doing contact level research. Yeah. I think, you know, as always, if you go to market in a position where you're looking to help, you know, like you'll, you'll, you'll know the right thing to do. I think the, um, just leave it up to marketers. They'll know the right thing to do. Ship has sailed. Oh, and yeah, maybe you're right. And, and maybe, uh, maybe didn't go as well as we thought. Oh no. Yeah. But, I, I hope uh, this has been helpful. I, I hope people can kind of take this information, help them uh, better wrap their arms around their target account universe and use that understanding to make better marketing decisions at the end of the day. That's what it's all about. Thanks a lot, mate. A pleasure. Take care. Thanks for listening to The Cooler Ring with Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Don't miss a single manufacturing marketing insight. Subscribe now at coolapartners.com slash thecoolerring. That's K-U-L-A partners.com slash the cooler ring. 